Today's reading is Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 58, to be found on page 944 of the Bible's next year seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill the promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all, for now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. The word of the Lord. Our God of grace, as we enter into this room, we may not know much about each other. There may be a lot of people that we assume a lot of things about. If we walk in new today, we may look and say, all these people all know each other and they're all a certain way. But the truth is, we sit here not wanting everyone else to know huge parts about our story, huge parts about our lives. Struggles, pain, loss, sometimes disgrace or embarrassment and shame. Sometimes we even, for some reason, we we hide the, the joys and the celebrations. The truth is, underneath the surface, all of us are more of a mess than we care to admit. And we come now listening for your voice, listening into your story, because your story tells us something shocking and difficult to believe. And that is, despite our mess, in Christ we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. And so at the same time, we are invited to, in, to consider ourselves flawed, deeply flawed, and yet even more deeply loved. 
And that's, that's why, that's Advent. That's, that's what we celebrate as we consider you arriving and coming into a broken world, a flawed world full of lives of half-hearted devotion. And oh, can we relate to that description, half-hearted devotion. We're so thankful for your grace. Would you teach us now through your gracious love, make us new, uh, help explain Help your grace to explain what we see in this world and make sense of the inconsistencies and the paradoxes, to make sense of a season that we are surrounded by one way of celebrating it and perhaps there's an alternate alternative and, and we look to you to help us get there. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when is the last time that you stopped and said to someone, I'm really blessed? I'm blessed. I don't know if you talk that way. I don't usually talk that way, even though I'm a preacher. You would think that I would, but I, I don't know that I talk that way. Are you blessed? And then how would you determine whether you are or not? How would you, how would you gauge your level of blessing? You know, a blessing, really what we're saying is your life is in an enviable place. You have the raw ingredients for happiness. Maybe you didn't before, but now you do, and so you feel blessed. Well, the thing is, how do you assess that? How do you measure that? And our answers usually are, and this makes all the sense in the world, our answers are circumstantial. How are you blessed? Well, um, in the things that you possess. Maybe you didn't possess them before. Maybe you always have. But you got money, perhaps, that you didn't have before, maybe something with career advancement or vocation, you got that job you wanted, you got that, uh, an apartment or a house that you wanted, um, so you're blessed, something you possess. Or maybe it has to do with your plans working out. You planned for something and it came to fruition, you're blessed. Or you got a lucky break. You know, things weren't going well, but then it all kind of turned and things fell into place. You're blessed. Um, now, the only problem with that, defining blessing through the circumstances in your life, well, there's really two problems with it. One is that, they, it, is that circumstances are not nearly as secure as we imagine them to be. It's, it's a flimsy foundation to rest your sense of security around these you know, possessions and these you know, these circumstances in your life that are going this way or that way because, you know, s- stock markets do crash. People that we love do pass away and we, we have loss. So circumstances can change quickly and so that's one way in which it's, a, it's kind of a flimsy route to go in terms of defining blessing. In your worship guide, there's a quote by this um, now, now um, deceased uh, British columnist and journalist named Bernard Levin. And he says, countries like ours are full of people who have all the material comforts they desire. Together with such non-material blessings as a happy family, and yet, this is what he says, and yet they lead lives of quiet and at times noisy desperation, understanding nothing but the fact that there is a hole inside them that however much food and drink they pour into it, However many motor cars and television sets they stuff, with, stuff it with, that dates the quote a little bit there. I think we've transitioned to some other you know, 
fill in the blank with your um, digital devices. But however many you have, you stuff your life with, however many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges of it, it aches. So not only, you know, not only are these things flimsy, not only are they temporary and not nearly as secure as we imagine, but they also, they also end up just not satisfying to the degree that we think when we announce that we're blessed and that we have all these things. And at Christmas time, isn't it funny how this is exactly the season, uh, very much so, that we're entering into. As we're entering into a season of, of looking at material blessings, looking at familial blessings, looking at circumstantial blessings and saying, um, let's, let's kind of have these, let's look at these, let's celebrate these, let's um, give these back and forth to each other. Circumstantial blessings. And they become, you know, they can become these kinds of things where you're evaluating maybe your year or your whole life and you're saying, well, where was I a year ago in terms of the circumstances? And where am I now in terms of those circumstances? And here I am, uh, um, this, you know, someone might say, I'm really blessed. I'm at this Christmas. Now I have that person in my life that I didn't have a year ago. And, at the, it, and so I'm, I'm really blessed. And, the, and someone on the exact same the flip side of that coin, someone says, I come to this Christmas and I, and I no longer have that person that I had last Christmas and so I, I don't feel blessed or, um, or, or I still don't have that person that I'm longing for in my life and so I'm not blessed. And this is the season amidst all the gifts and the food and the parties and the relationship that we're in. Now Mary, it's funny because in this story we have the blessed Mary If you go to Catholic Mass, you'll hear the phrase, Blessed Mary, ever virgin. Blessed Mary. That's how she's talked about. And this is the story that 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 language really originates from, the story where she sings what is called the Magnificat. It's the first Latin word of her song in there. My soul glorifies. Mary's song. And she's seeing Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is saying, Mary is blessed. And then Mary is saying, "I I am blessed. But you wouldn't know it if you look at the circumstances in her life. If you look at her circumstances, here's what we know. Here are the, here's just the cut and dry basics of what's going on in Mary's life. She's got a pregnancy that's involved some degree, possibly a lot, we don't know, but to some degree it has involved disgrace publicly, this, this pregnancy that she has, this, this unexplained pregnancy. Okay, so let me just tick away some other things. So then you've got... <clears throat> She's impoverished, she's not wealthy, and this pregnancy is not going to answer that circumstantial problem, for sure. Um, and then you've, got, then you've got a birth story involving her traveling while she's giving birth. And I've, you know, I've watched um, in our family, we've had four children, and I, I just I can't imagine uh, traveling on a dog. And we're not talking about an airplane, which they don't even let people, you know, they don't let... Pregnant women in their third trimester go on airplanes, I don't think, anymore. But we're talking like donkey, right, and by foot. And then the birth story happens. You know, I don't know if Mary had a birth plan, those of you who know about this. But I'm pretty sure she wouldn't have written on there, you know, let's do it in a barn. You know, let's really go natural and uh, be among all the animals. And then there's a manger. And let's just, you know, this was, this, this was not good circumstances, in Mary's life. And then, of course, now this is kind of chilling, is that when, the, when they do bring the baby and present him to the temple, 
And Simeon, this one who just sort of has an eye for what is happening, comes and says some amazing words to them about Jesus. But then the words end with um, something about Mary. And you say, well, Mary's, you know, blessed Mary. But what does he say about in, in just the next chapter from what we read? Uh, verse two, or chapter 2 of Luke, verse 34. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he looks at Mary and says, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And what is he alluding to? I mean, you, you can kind of guess, but we don't, you know, it doesn't have a footnote or anything, but I think we're, we're looking at a woman watching her son grow up and then suffer and, and then unjustly be crucified. Um, so this is Mary's, these are Mary's circumstances. And yet, what does she do? She's, she's, at, she's kind of almost bragging about being blessed. And she composes this glorious, beautiful song that goes down with the ages as just this beautiful, you know, the Magnificat that we sing and that we know and that churches have used in their worship and in their pageants. And so this is the question really about Mary. If you're a little bit like me and maybe you have that little bit of um, cynicism, sarcasm, realism, whatever you want to call it, but you look at it and you, and you just kind of say, is she being phony here with this, this you know, effusive talk of how blessed she is and how amazing things are. Look at her circumstances. How can she do You know, is she, is she the kind of person that you know, maybe you have this reaction to somebody who's a smiley religious person where you kind of go, eh, no, they, they're just, they're fooling themselves. They're just putting on a fake smile and they're living in la-la land because life is not good and they're pretending it is. I mean, is that, is that what Mary's doing here? She just seems too happy. Mary's happiness is not in line with the evidence in her life and the circumstances of her life. It's a joy that is out of proportion to the circumstances that she has been dealt. Now, that's something to think about. She's either being completely fake or her definition of blessing has been redefined. It's something to think about in your own life, really. It, you know, could, could, would anybody ever mis- mistake what's happening? And would anyone ever stop and puzzle over your, the joy in your life and say, that person's joy is disproportionate to the experiences they're having in their circumstances right now in life? Is that person's sense of happiness not lining up with the hand they've been dealt because if so, I would say, if that, if that happens once in a while in your life, I would say that this thing that we talk about every week, this thing called the gospel, the, the way that we connect with God's love and goodness has begun to happen and has, is, is showing some fruit in your life. When the gospel writers wrote about these stories, and, and of course with Luke here, um, the sort of nerdy historical background is that he starts his gospel by saying, I've investigated, like I've gone back and investigated all of the events that, are, that supposedly happened. And now um, he says to his friend, my dear Theophilus, now I, I write another account, even though other accounts have been written. So, so and, and, and he's the one that includes all this, some of this material about Elizabeth and Mary that no one else includes. He's gone back and talked to them. 
And as he's telling this story, what he's doing is he's showing us, and he's, he's writing, think about it this way, he's writing the Gospel of Luke to people who are already a part of a pretty catalytic, explosive movement around the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. They've heard, they, they, a lot of these people, they, they haven't met Jesus, but the message has connected, the gospel has taken root, and, and he's writing to these kinds of people, and he's showing them, you can get the sense, he's showing them that even these people, Mary, Elizabeth, and some of the other names, Anna and Simeon, these people, even before Jesus was born, they're examples of what happens when Jesus comes into your life. That there's a redefinition, there's, there's a paradigm shifting thing that happens. He's clear that as soon as the story of Jesus connects and engages your life, there's examples of people whose center of gravity shifts. And so you have Elizabeth and Mary, who Jesus has just been announced, but already that announcement is just shifting how they look at the world and how they see things. They look at their life differently. They look at history differently. Regardless of the circumstances, they now know there's this connection that they have to God's bigger story of redemption. And so they measure blessing differently. Their, their life has been miraculously and personally connected to God's story of grace. That, conti- that continues to be the offer for you in this Christmas season. That you'd have this connection that's miraculous and that's personal in which you're connected to God's bigger story. At this communion table, um, every week we celebrate communion And part of that's intentional because Jesus told us to do this as a community. And all are welcome to come up to this table from all different circumstances, all different circumstances in your life, to come and to revisit the fact that you have a connection now. And this is a way for it not to just be kind of out there metaphorical. This is very real. These are real things, the bread and the cup to remind us of how real the connection is now to God's bigger story. You're invited to come forward to a table to participate in something larger than yourself. A story that starts with a pregnancy, but then moves on to a a torturous death, and then an astonishingly hopeful resurrection. That's the bigger story. I mean, you notice what what Mary does here in this song of hers in verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant, servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. That's the conclusion of her song. Those are the last words. Do you see how it's completely removed from the minutia of her own circumstances. She's wrapped up in the bigger story. She's calling back to things like Abraham and Israel and their descendants. What is she doing? She's, she's wrapped up in the big story of you know, what we look at each week in this book. She's connected to ancient promises that God has made. She's connecting herself to this covenant that isn't just, well, now I'm going to be comfortable. Now I'm going to get you know, the spouse I want, now I'm going to get the, the housing situation I want, now I'm going to get the job I want. She's, she's purely singing related to this big story. She sees a connection. It's incredible. The big redemption story. 
And, and, and you know, we have this. You've, you've, you've heard people talk this way. Maybe at times you've talked this way. You say, well, you know, I've tried... Someone says, I've tried the Christianity thing for a while, you know, but these, these bad experiences happened and I just couldn't, you know, they soured me on the whole thing. I just couldn't follow a God in which that's the kind of thing that ends up happening for me. And at some point, it's legitimate for someone to ask the question, well, were you really, were you really looking for God? Or were you just focused on experiencing certain circumstances and God was the kind of the leverage point for that. It's one of the greatest distortions, really, of Christianity is that it's, gonna, it's going to be proved or disproved based on the minutia of my circumstances, right? Whether it's, what is it? Is, what is it for you? Is it money? Is it a spouse? Is it health? Is it uh, just your emotional outlook? Is it your vocation? And that has never, I mean, literally, that has never been the promise, <laughs> It's never been the promise. Well, maybe theological, biblical side note is just to say, you know, some of you maybe know the Bible. You say, yeah, but, and you point to things maybe in the Old Testament. There's a lot going on in the, in the Old Testament in which material things function. It turns out once Jesus comes that this is clear. A lot of material things such as inheritance and promised land and other types of physical circumstantial flourishing were functioning as types that then when Jesus comes, they're, they're, they're types that now are read into with Jesus and they were, just, they were functioning as a foretaste and pointing to the real security, the real blessing, which is Jesus. It all points towards Jesus. And, that the, and, the, and with Jesus, what comes what comes into, into our view is that we are personally and miraculously connected to God's bigger story of grace. And that's enough for the Christian. That's enough blessing, despite whatever circumstances there are. There's an old catechism that I grew up with because of the, the historical background of City Life Church and the, and the denomination called the Christian Reformed Church that I grew up in and that City Life is a part of. It's called the Heidelberg Catechism. And um, it developed in the middle of the 16th century. And this is how it starts. This, is so, this, this catechism is basically a summary of the Bible's teachings made current for the 16th century. Um, but, but really, it, but this, is, this, is, this is the song of the Heidelberg Catechism. I believe it's a lovely song. What is your only comfort in life and in death? I, I used to have this whole thing memorized, but now I'm gonna, it's a little choppy, so I'm going to look down a bit that I am not my own, but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for the good of my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. What is your only comfort? Where are you drawing your comfort? You see, you see the, what this answer gives. I'm not my own, but belong to my Savior, Jesus Christ. The only comfort 
the growing comfort, the central, foundational, pivoting, robust comfort that you have in your life, connection to Jesus. That's what Mary and Elizabeth are full of. That's what's leading Mary to sing the Magnificat. John Calvin put it this way, um, also in the 16th century, not that we ought absolutely to hate life, which is justly reckoned to be one of the highest of God's blessings, but because believers ought cheerfully to lay it down when it keeps them from approaching Christ. To love this life is not in itself wrong, provided that we only pass through it as pilgrims, keeping our eyes always fixed on our object. See, John Calvin's like me. He's not going to be the curmudgeon that says, you know, give away your Christmas presents because, you know, you got to show that all you need is Jesus. You know, you know John Calvin knows not to, that's, that's a way to shrink your church, you know. Okay. <laughs> So, you know, John Calvin knows this. So he says, not that we absolutely hate life. You know, there's, this is one of the profound blessings. But he puts it into perspective and, and says where, you know, we pass through as pilgrims. Does that, does that give you an image for how you enjoy even a season like this where there are, I mean, there's blessings that are good that you may get to enter into. I was at a family Christmas party last night and it was filled with joy and just the goodness of family and cookies I mean, you know, the holiday cookies, mm. appetizers, egg rolls, you know, family singing around the piano. I mean, just jokes, some inappropriate, but fun. <laughs> and so much good times together as a family. This is good things, but how are we enjoying them? What's, you know, how do they, they orient themselves? They orbit around the central, robust, firm comfort. And this is just how extreme it gets, is that in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes this way when he writes to them. He says, praise be to God and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he goes on to explain what he means by all these blessings. But, but that, really is, that really is the condition of the Christian. That's the offer to you if you're not yet a Christian. You know, that's kind of the, that's the thing. That's the whole deal. That's, the, that's what you're walking into. That's what you get baptized into. That's what you come to the table for. Not a blessing that you might get someday if you follow God well enough. <laughs> that if you come to church every Sunday, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's past tense, folks. I looked it up. Has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That's the gospel. And Luke, you know, the gospel writer Luke, he's writing at a time where this wasn't so strange. He's writing in a time when, um, a pretty catalytic time in the Christian church at the beginning, when um, it wasn't uncommon to the people he was writing that there, were, that there were people who were leaving their careers to orient their lives around the blessings that they had, the secure blessing they had in Christ. People were selling property because they had such a secure blessing in Christ. They were making celibacy vows and saying, I'll never get married because what I have is enough. I mean, just this, the, the things floating around in the milieu of this highly blessed community of faith called the Christian church. That's the, that's the kind of the kind of community Luke was writing into. 
Because the, the arrival, and it's true for us today, the arrival of Jesus into your life, you getting connected to the grace of Jesus, the grace of God, the way you have been accepted in, validated, and brought home already. Um, when that sets, when that comes in, that makes you in tune with a different definition of blessing, with a different view of the more shallow passing through as pilgrims kind of blessings that are around you. And that's, in a sense, that's a way to know if, you, if it's dropped, if the penny's dropped for you and, this, and the gospel has really set into your heart and you've connected with it. Maybe it, it hasn't. It hasn't always with everyone who comes to a church on a Sunday morning. I mean, it's just part of the deal. And sometimes we ebb and flow in and out of getting it. So a question, a question such as, do you, do, you sense, do you have any sense of being in tune with God's blessing in your life amidst some of the smaller or minute blessings? Do you have a sense of being in tune with something solid and untouchable and robust? And how do you get there? Well, I, I can't think of, as we end, as we close this message, the only thing I can think um, to say about how do you get there is just to pray more. It's a very simple, good preacher application point. Pray more. But, but just to add a couple sentences to that, in your, in your life of prayer, whether you can get yourself to pray more with friends or by your, all by yourself at a certain time or by reading something that's a prayer-based book or whether it's with your kids at night or over the dinner table or with a roommate or a friend or a spouse, however you can do it, pray more. And uh, try a little bit to pray less about your circumstances. <laughs> Maybe just a little bit less about that. Um, wean yourself off of those kind of prayers. That may be a huge step for you, and that's okay. That may just be a, long, a year or two of just trying less of that. Pray more so that you're sus- you might get more suspicious of God's hand amidst the circumstances in your life. You might have a suspicion of, okay, I would view this as not going well. What's up with, how might God be viewing this? Pray more about your frustrations and your roadblocks as a way of trying to get yourself to give them over, give them into God's hands. Um, Because maybe you're just clutching them and holding them and owning them yourself. All of these, all of these kinds of prayers are results of assuming God has connected you to his story. And the kind of bigger picture of you that that starts to give. It's not about the minutia of my life anymore. It's about a bigger story. Or maybe I'm starting to see some of the minutia and connect a dot to a bigger story. And that's what we'll end with because I love how... um, You know, and just to be honest, it can be a little bit annoying if a really religious person, maybe you've known someone like this, is connecting everything, every minute thing in their life and giving it some kind of spiritual meaning. That can get, I know, that can get a little bad taste in the back of your mouth. But Elizabeth does it a little bit in the story. I don't know if you caught this, but twice in the story it is mentioned. It's, a, it's like a bedrock in the story is that the baby moves, you know, right at the time when Mary comes in, the baby, and the baby is John the Baptist, and the baby turns and moves and kicks just at that time when Mary walks in, 
Elizabeth says, I see the connection. It's a, there's a bigger thing happening. I'm wrapped up in this bigger story of God. There's a connection. And, you know, the cynic may say, well, you know, babies at that stage and pregnancy are always, you know, you never know. The time, it's just a coincidence. The baby's moving. Elizabeth says, and Luke passes it on. That's how, that's how Christians look at things. That's how people connected to Jesus look at things. They, they really look at the, some of the, even the minutiae of their life, and they say, you know what? How might this be connected to the bigger story of God right now? Let's pray. God, I pray that you give us vision. Our vision is so blurry um, from within and from outside. There's blurring forces all around us, and we just add to the blurriness with our bad spiritual vision. Um, make things clear and grow our faith. May we grow into people who see more clearly um, the incredible blessing we have in Christ and how to live from the huge repository of that blessing instead of from the scant resources that we tend to depend on. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.